good morning and grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> on November 30th, I'm sorry, on Thursday, November 29th, 2018, the people living in and around Anchorage, Alaska, went about their lives as usual, working, shopping, watching TV, uh, talking on the phone, making plans, surfing the net, hanging out with friends, just going about their everyday lives. And they were totally unaware that 3.9 billion, that's right, billion with a B, 3.9 billion tons of TNT was about to go off right underneath their feet. Because at 8.30 a.m. on November 30th, 2018, 400 miles of rock shifted just a few feet creating an 8.9 magnitude earthquake that sent shockwaves around the world that were felt even in our nation's capital some 4,000 miles away. And experts tell us that the damage would have been a lot worse had it not been for the fact that the shift in the tectonic plates occurred over 20 miles below the Earth's surface. Since then, they've had over 200 aftershocks, the biggest one being 5.7 on the Richter scale. Roads were broken up, uh, buildings were shook up, the airport and the oil pipeline were shut down for a while. But thankfully, praise God, no one was seriously injured and no one lost their lives in this quake. How many times had people driven across that fault line, walked on it, maybe camped on it, maybe even built their houses on it, and they were totally unaware of the massive pressure that was building up right under their feet? The epicenter of the Anchorage earthquake was about eight miles north of town. 2,000 years ago, in Bethlehem, a little town about five to six miles south of Jerusalem, there would be the epicenter of an earthquake, a spiritual earthquake, that's still sending shockwaves around the world today. During the day, Bethlehem had been packed with people coming to register for the Roman census. We don't know how many inns there were in this little town, but from our scripture reading this morning from Luke chapter 2, we saw that there were no more rooms available. And it was there in the still of the night when most people were asleep that a spiritual event occurred that would change the world forever. And it happened in a manger right there under their noses. Yet all but a very few special people woke up the next morning and went about their day as if nothing unusual had happened. Matthew 24, verses 37 through 39 tells us this. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying, being given in marriage, up to the day that Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing, nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. This is how it will be, Jesus said, at the coming of the Son of Man. Well, that's also how it was when Jesus first came into our world and how it will be when he comes again the second time. <coughs> I began a series last week looking at some of the Christmas carols that we sing each year. And last week we lit the candle of prophecy and we looked at the carol, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, which listed some of the, the prophecies concerning the coming Messiah. This week we lit what's known as the Bethlehem candle, or the candle of preparation. And it reminds us that we need to prepare ourselves, we need to be ready. 
for the coming of our Savior, the one we celebrate being born in Bethlehem, just as the prophets foretold. So for this week, I thought we might take a look at the Christmas carol, the one that we just sang, O Little Town of Bethlehem, and see what we can learn from it about our faith and about God. As we begin, I ask that you would take your Bibles and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Micah. And please stand with me as you're able for the reading from God's Word. For those of you who aren't sure where Micah is, we'll be reading from page 658, so it makes it easier. You can just turn there. Micah was a, a prophet, one of the, what's known as one of the minor prophets of the Old Testament. We'll be in Micah chapter 5, and I'll be reading verses 1 <coughs> down through 5a. Reading in Jesus' name. Marshal your troops, O city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time comes when she who is in labor gives birth and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. O Lord, as we look into your word, and as we look into the words of this Christmas carol this morning, (coughs) I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide and direct my words, our thoughts, Lord, that we would be drawn closer to you in faith through our study this morning. And Lord, as always, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together would be pleasing and acceptable to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So we sang this hymn just a little bit ago. So I would invite you to actually take your hymn books and keep them open to page 250 if you want to kind of follow along. The verses we have in our hymn book, the four verses that are there, are all the verses of this carol, so I won't be putting verses up on the screen this week like I did last week. But the first verse begins with the words, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. And as Steve shared with us earlier, this carol was written by a man named Philip Brooks. In 1865, Philip Brooks went on a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. On Christmas Eve, Brooks hired a horse and he began riding south and somewhat west of Jerusalem through the hill country of Judea. And as evening approached, he found himself coming to the hills and fields where he imagined the shepherds had been keeping watch over their flocks when an angel of the Lord appeared to them. His mind and his heart were flooded with the images of the Advent story as he rode and then walked through the streets of Bethlehem. He wrote these words in his diary. He said, I remember standing in the old church in Bethlehem, close to the spot where Jesus was born. And the whole church was ringing hour after hour with the splendid hymns of praise to God. How again and again it seemed as if I could hear voices I knew very well telling each other of the Savior's birth. The night that he was in Bethlehem, the town was filled with music and and chiming bells, and it got him thinking about the night when Christ was born. And on the night that Christ was born, there was singing, right? There was an angelic choir, but only the shepherds in the fields heard it. The rest of Bethlehem 
slept on. For them, the night was dreamless, and the heavens were silent. Brooks actually wrote his poem about that night three years later, and he asked his, his organist and his friend, Louis H. Redner, to set his poem to music so that the people could sing and remember and experience the birth of Jesus much in the same way that he did that Christmas Eve that he spent in Bethlehem. And we're going to get to those verses in just a little bit, but I thought it might be good for us to see a little biblical history of this town of Bethlehem first. Bethlehem is first mentioned in the scriptures in uh, Genesis chapter 35, verses 16 through 20. It's in that story when Jacob and his family are traveling home to Canaan and Rachel goes into labor, but then dies as she's giving birth to her son. And as she's dying, she calls her son Benoni, which means son of my sorrow. Well, later Jacob changed the son's name to Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. And we're told in verse 19 that Rachel died and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. So Bethlehem was initially associated in the scriptures with grief and suffering, but it was transformed in our passage for today into a place of glory. As he sang earlier, glory, right? And God's grace. Do you know what other Old Testament story took place in the town of Bethlehem? It's the story of Ruth. I'm not going to go into the whole story this morning, but Ruth was a woman from Moab who had married one of Naomi's sons. And in the course of time, Naomi lost her husband Elimelech and she lost her two sons. So Naomi decided to return to her hometown, which was Bethlehem. Ruth went with her and through different events became the wife of Boaz. As Boaz went through the process of becoming the kinsman redeemer for Naomi and for the property of Elimelech, he stood at the city gate of Bethlehem, and the elders of the city said this to him, May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. And we know from the genealogies that it was from this family line that Obed, and then Jesse, and then David sprung forth. So David, as well, was from Bethlehem. As Steve shared with us earlier, the name Bethlehem literally means house of bread. How fitting that the one who was to become the bread of life for us was born in a place called the house of bread. But Micah, in our passage, calls it by another name, doesn't he? He calls it Ephrathah. Ephrathah means the place of fruitfulness. In John 15, Jesus speaks about the vine and the branches, about the purpose of the branches being to, to remain in the vine, to produce fruit, to be fruitful. So the one who is the vine himself, the one whom we are attached to so we can produce fruit, was born in a town also called the place of fruitfulness. There's great meaning just in the name of this little town where Jesus was born. So Brooks began his hymn with the words, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark streets shineth, what? The everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. <clears throat> If we were to go back once again to Jacob's day, 
The one born to Jacob and Rachel, again, was first named son of my sorrow, but his name was changed to mean son of my right hand. The one that we celebrate, being born in Bethlehem, left the right hand of God to come to earth to be born and to suffer and die for the sins of all mankind. So Jesus could also be called son of my sorrow. In fact, Isaiah called the promised Messiah a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. So Jesus took a place associated with grief and suffering, the cross, and he transformed it into a place of God's grace and God's glory as the place where the love of God met the sins of the world. Brooks tells us that Bethlehem was the place where the hopes and fears of all the years were met. And I would put it to you today that the cross is also the place where those hopes and fears of all the years are met as well. When Brooks went through Bethlehem that night in 1865, there may have been torches lit along the way, lighting the way for people to see where they were going, but overall, the city was probably pretty dark. They didn't have the same kind of lighting that we have today. And in Jesus' day, it may have been even darker when the shepherds left their fields and their flocks behind to go and find the one that the angel had told them about. We read last week from Isaiah that the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. This was a prophecy concerning the coming Messiah, the one who would come to be the Savior of the world. Brooks tells us again that in the dark streets of Bethlehem, in those dark streets shined the everlasting light of the one who came to fulfill all the hopes and dreams of the world. Jesus came as the light of the world, as we saw last week from John chapter 8. His presence lights the way for sinners living in darkness to see the way to God through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 2 tells us, very simply, for Christ is born of Mary, And gathered all above while mortals sleep, the angels keep their watch of wondering love. O morning stars together proclaim the holy birth, and praises sing to God the King, and peace to men on earth. Well, Brooks begins this second stanza by telling us that Christ was born to a woman named Mary. (coughs) Excuse me. Luke chapter 1 gives us the account of the angel Gabriel coming to a virgin named Mary and giving her the news that she would be the mother of the Son of God. Matthew chapter 1 also tells us that Mary was the mother of Jesus. We see in John's gospel in chapter 19 that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there at the cross as Jesus was dying for the sins of the world, her sins included. So Brooks rightfully tells us what the scriptures state very clearly, that Christ was born of Mary. And Brooks then paints for us a picture of what might have been going on in heaven as the Son of God was born on earth. That gathered all above, while the mortals sleep, the angels all keep their watch of wondering love. While the world was sleeping and while the shepherds were watching their flocks, The angels, the heavenly host, were, to me, it seems, watching in awe and wonder as the second person of the Trinity, the Holy Son of God, was born to a young peasant couple in this little town of Bethlehem. 
The Bible teaches us about angels and archangels and cherubim and seraphim. We know that there are orders and degrees among the angels, and there very well may be, according to Revelation, orders of beings that you and I haven't even begun to think or wonder about. And all these sinless, holy creatures whose entire being is filled with worship and praise to God, they watched as the triune majesty of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit fulfilled that ancient promise. Again, not in Jerusalem where everyone thought a king would be born, but in Bethlehem of all places. Born in a manger with most likely cattle and donkeys and sheep and oxen looking on along with the angels. So these heavenly beings looked down with awe and wonder as God became Emmanuel, God with us, God born in human flesh. I think about that and I wonder, I wonder, were there some oohs and ahs among the angelic host? Maybe even some sanctified high fives. I don't know if they did high fives up there. I don't know. But as they watched as God accomplished every detail of his promise to raise up a redeemer for his people, to to take care of all the sins on earth, and the angels sing praises to God the King as he brings peace to men on earth. He wrote those words and he's writing those words. He's hearkening back to Luke's gospel account where the sky is opened up and and the angel chorus declared, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. This one born to Mary in this little town of Bethlehem was born to bring peace to all who would turn to him for forgiveness and salvation. In the third verse, Brooks begins with the repeated phrase, how silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. We sing another Christmas carol called Silent Night that kind of expresses the same thought, right? Silent night, holy night, all is calm, yet all is bright. If you think about it, there was no big fanfare when the Son of God came into the world. Yes, the angel chorus did appear to the shepherds, but it seems they were the only ones who received that message and saw that great sight. The rest of the world just went on in silence as the holy presence of God was wrapped up in human flesh and laid in a manger. The entrance of a king is usually announced with great fanfare, right? With the blasting of trumpets, with the waving of banners. But the king of the universe came into our world Silently. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. We all like to give and receive gifts, right? It's part of what we do at Christmas each year. And I don't know about you, but I like to give gifts to people that I think they'll actually enjoy, or maybe gifts that they really need. Everyone in the world needs the gift that God gave to us when he sent his son to be born of Mary in Bethlehem. Jesus was born into a world where everyone was walking in darkness because of their sin. And we're taught in the scriptures that we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. So we need, all of us, need this wondrous gift that was given on the night that Jesus was born. Sorry. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of our sin 
is death. It's spiritual death. It is a separation from holy God. This is where the world was before Christ was born. But because Jesus came into our world and because he became a man of sorrows, one familiar with suffering, and he suffered and died for us, we then receive the blessing of the second half of Romans 6.23. Yes, the first half tells us that the wages of our sin is death, but it goes on. It goes on to tell us that the gift, the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. This wondrous gift of God came to us silently in the person of Jesus Christ, born in Bethlehem. Brooks goes on in the third verse to tell us that God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. The Apostle Paul begins his message to the church in Ephesus with these words. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Paul also wrote to the church in Corinth, and he said, And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, having all that you need, you'll abound in every good work. As Brooks tells us, these blessings come to us through faith in the one that God sent into the world that first Christmas night. Through the gift that was given, we receive the blessings of God and the promise of heaven in the presence of Christ when our time here on earth is through. He goes on to repeat the thought of Christ coming silently when he says, no ear may hear his coming. The world didn't receive the same message that the shepherds did. They were the only ones the announcement was made to. And yes, after going to the stable and seeing the baby in the manger, yes, they did go out and they told everyone that they came across what they had seen and heard that night. And people wondered about the message that they heard. But many today, sadly, are still deaf to the message of the gospel. Satan has stopped up their ears with all other kinds of of teachings and beliefs. And people today simply want to hear what their itching ears want to hear. So in some ways, the coming of Christ into our world is still silent because Satan has done all he can to keep the message of the gospel from going out. But friends, that's where we come in because we are called, just like the shepherds, to share that message to those who need to hear it. And the promise, the promise from this carol is still the same promise from Scripture. And what is that promise? That in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. Do you hear what Brooks is doing here? See, it's one thing to to sentimentalize the story of Bethlehem. It it, kind of lends itself to that, doesn't it? It's one thing to simply see the objective reality of the incarnation of the Son of God. But the real challenge The real challenge is to accept this truth in our hearts. See, the real point of the Christmas story, the real point of the incarnation is that God has come to save us from our sin. He's come to quicken us. He's come to regenerate us. He's come to bring us into union and fellowship with the now risen Christ who is enthroned on high at the right hand of God the Father. These are the blessings of his heaven that God wishes to impart to our human hearts through this wondrous gift that was given. 
And that's really where Brooks takes us in the fourth verse. He closes his carol with a prayer. Did you all catch that? Did you notice that when you were singing it? O holy child of Bethlehem, descend on us, we pray. And what is it that we're praying for? We're praying that this holy child would cast out our sin and enter in and be born in us. You see, some people, some people will see Jesus as just back there, right? In the dim recesses of history. He was a man, maybe a good man, maybe even a good teacher, but he died, as all men do, and that's how they still see Jesus today. Some see him, especially at this time of year, maybe over there in Bethlehem, right? They see him in the manger, but nowhere else. Some see Jesus as being up there in heaven with the angels looking down at us. That's where he is today, at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. But being holy God and having no limitations, he is able to be in more than one place at one time. And the place we need to have him, friends, is right here in our hearts. He came as Emmanuel, God with us, and he still abides with us in our hearts if we have received the wondrous gift that was given to us, the gift that was wrapped up for us in swaddling clothes that lonely night so many years ago in a little town called Bethlehem. If you were to go to Bethlehem today, you'd see a very different city than it was on the night when Jesus was born. When Jesus was born... The city was filled with people because of the census declared by Caesar Augustus. But without the travelers from that census, Bethlehem was a very small town. Some historians say with as few as a couple hundred people, some say maybe up to close to 2,000. I don't think we have any way of knowing exactly how many people lived in Bethlehem back then, but it was a very small amount compared to the some 29 to 30,000 who live there today. And there are other things that are different from the Bethlehem of Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, it was a very Jewish town, right? It was about five to six miles from the Jewish capital of Jerusalem. Today, however, Bethlehem is actually part of the Palestinian Authority because of the Israeli-Palestinian interim agreement that came about in 1995. The city of Bethlehem receives some 300,000 visitors each Christmas season, many of them wanting to see the church of the nativity that was built over the supposed place where Jesus was born. We don't know exactly, but that's where they think he was born. But today in Bethlehem, there's a military checkpoint right across the street from the church of the nativity. Right on the other side of the church is the mosque of Omar. What a difference. What a difference between the Bethlehem we have today and the Bethlehem where Jesus was born. But we can always go back to that Bethlehem where Jesus was born, and we can go back there in our hearts. We go back there through the words of the scriptures and through the words of Philip Brooks as he closes out his carol. He says, We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. Then he prays, O come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. The angels had announced that the Savior had been born. He is Christ the Lord, they said. That's what Bethlehem 
is all about. It's the place where the holiness of God intersected with the sinfulness of man. And we were given the promise that we could be saved from our sins through faith in this one who was born of Mary, while the host of heaven kept their watch of wondering love over them all. Friends, we need Bethlehem. We need the Bethlehem of long ago. Micah told us that in Bethlehem Ephrathah, even though it was small among the clans of Judah, that one would be born who would rule over Israel, one whose greatness would reach to the ends of the earth, one who would be their peace. We talked about this a little bit in our Sunday school this morning, but if there will ever be peace for Israel, it will only come through faith in the one that was born to a virgin as the Holy Son of God. That's the only way peace will come. We as well can find the peace and the hope that was born there in Jesus Christ. And hymns like O Little Town of Bethlehem that are based on the scriptures can still take us there in our hearts and our minds today. Remember that whenever you sing this song. As Steve said, it's his favorite hymn. It's one of my favorites too. Please pray with me. Oh, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for people like Phillips Brooks, Lord, who you inspired to, to write down a, a hymn like this that, that's fully based on the scriptures, Lord, that tells the story of, of the night that Jesus was born. Oh, Lord, thank you for coming into our world. There are so many in our world today, Lord, whose, whose ears are stopped up, whose eyes are blinded, to the true meaning of Christmas. I pray, Lord, that you might unstop their ears, that your Holy Spirit might open their eyes, and they would see the Christ in Christmas, and they would see and understand the reason why you came, and they too could understand the message of Bethlehem, that that is where your love met our sin, in the form of your son, born of a virgin, wrapped in swaddling clothes, and laid in a manger, as the greatest gift any of us will ever receive. Thank you. Thank you for that. And may, Lord, as we continue on in this season, may we always wonder with awe, as the angels did, as Mary did, as the shepherds did, about this story, about how you came to us in such a special way. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.